Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the absolutely central concepts in George Dickey's discussions of the nature of art in essays like What is Art in Institutional Analysis and What is Anti-Art is what he terms the art world. Now, he did not originate this term, and he acknowledges that he is taking it from Arthur Danto, but his analysis is attempting to go a bit further than that and make it absolutely central as the basis for defining what art actually is, going beyond previous failing theories, such as the imitative or expressive theories of art, and to go past the impasses of the mid-20th century, worries about whether we could define art at all. Now, Dickey does not think that he's just playing with ideas here. He thinks that he's actually, again, following Danto, analyzing social realities that are quite complex, an entire network that comprises this, you can't even call it a thing, Uh, you may have to call it something like an atmosphere that is the art world. And so he says, although he doesn't attempt to formulate a definition, Arthur Danto, in his article, The Art World, suggested the direction that must be taken by an attempt to define art. He says, to see something as art requires something the eye cannot describe, an atmosphere of artistic theory, a knowledge of history of art, an art world. And then Dickey says, well, this needs some elucidation. What are we talking about here? Non-exhibited properties, complex properties rather than simple properties. He says that is absolutely central. And he says, in speaking of atmosphere and history, Danto's remark carries us a step further. He points towards the rich structure in which particular works of art are embedded. He indicates the institutional nature of art. And this is what Dickey thinks is a really significant contribution. So he begins in in this essay, What is Art?, by talking about uh, whether this exists or not. And he he brings up the case of George Bernard Shaw, who uses this metaphor of an apostolic line of succession stretching from Aeschylus to himself. Aeschylus is one of the earliest Greek tragedians, so one of the great contributors to early drama. George Bernard Shaw is writing from the vantage point of his own presence, now our past, and he's saying there's this line of apostolic succession. What is apostolic succession? Well, that's a theological notion that's being used metaphorically here, and it means that he can trace himself back to someone who can trace himself back, who can trace himself back, and it goes all the way back to the originators. Presumably, the apostles in this case would be Aeschylus, Sophocles, Euripides, you know, the ancient Greek playwrights, maybe with Aristophanes thrown in there as well, because Shaw certainly liked his comedy. And the idea is that there's some sort of continuity of the art form 
being carried out. We can talk about, you know, philosophical schools having had uh, successions, you know, think about the early Platonists and Aristotelians and Epicureans and Stoics. They had their skull arcs, the people who were in charge of promulgating the teachings and, and running the school. And then, you know, people say, I, I learned from so-and-so, I learned from so-and-so. Now, in the case of Shaw, of course, he's not actually, like, learning from people who learned all the way back. It's rather reading and participating in an institution that way. If we look at theater, though, Dickey says that the tradition may have run thin at times and perhaps even ceased to exist altogether during some periods, but it was reborn out of memory and the need for art. The institutions associated with the theater have varied from time to time. In the beginning, it was Greek religion and the Greek state. In medieval times, the church. More recently, private business of the state, national theater. But what has remained constant with its own identity is the theater itself with an established way of doing and behaving, primary conventions. And so, you know, we can say the same thing not only about theater, he says, theater is only one of the systems within the art world. Each of the systems has its own origins and historical development. And we might say that we actually have more systems now than perhaps Dickey did at the time of his writing, and Dickey perhaps more at the time of his writing than in the time of George Bernard Shaw. Think about how important film had become by the time that Dickey is writing these works. So he says that one central feature that all of these systems have in common is that each of them is a framework for presenting of particular works of art, saying, this is art, take a look at it preferring art, bringing it forward for whatever it's going to be, the spectator, the appreciator, the listener, the reader, to, to appreciate and to note as being art. What they don't bring forward, presumably then, is not art, or at least it's not art that they're bringing forward. Perhaps they're relying on somebody else to do that instead. So this is a very important idea. The art world is a whole bunch of systems that are connected together, and each of them furnishes an institutional background for conferring status on objects within its domain. He says, no limit can be placed on the number of systems that can be brought under the generic conception of art. Each of the major systems contains further subsystems. There's an elasticity involved here. And again, we might think about things that nowadays are considered art that perhaps before were not. So, you know, in our time where we have these incredible supercomputers that we use for, in large part, for gaming... Well, you know, games, video games, can be considered works of art. And they, in fact, incorporate and assimilate other domains of art, like music and illustration and drama. So, you know, there's some interesting things going on there. So we've got this, this bundle of systems. Another key thing that he points out about the art world is... It's not as formalized as, say, the world of law. People always want rules for how to do art, and then we say things like, well, rules are meant to be broken. And then people break the rules and we're like, ooh, not like that. That's not a very good breaking of the rules. That looks like garbage to me, or that sounds like crap, right? <laughs> well, you told me to break the rules. Yeah, but break them like, uh, you know, in music, we, we could think about 
why don't you break the rules of rock and roll like like Lemmy did? But don't imitate Lemmy, exactly. <laughs> so we, we provide these things. Why do we do that? Well, because the art world is not just a system of, of highly codified rules. There's innovation. There's creativity. There's a lot of fluffery as well. But, you know, you have to use rhetoric to get people to actually buy into what it is that you're doing. There are some things that are formalized norms. And then there are some things where other factors are involved. He holds out the possibility that we could have an extreme formalization, but that would stifle creativity. It gets more interesting when we think about, well, who, who and what is this art world? What are the constituents of it? So he talks about core personnel, and this is really central. He says that the core personnel of the art world is a loosely organized, but nevertheless related set of persons. And it includes the following, but it's not simply restricted to the following. Artists, which would include painters, writers, composers, producers. Then we have the, the people who actually present it right? Which include producers. It might also include people who are taking other people's art and nesting it within their own. Also within the producers would be museum directors, museum goers, theater goers. Those would also be in the goers part. Reporters for newspapers fit in there. And so he says that the essential core is the artists who create the works presenters who play some role in presenting the works. And this doesn't mean necessarily just putting it on a wall or placing it on a website. It could be also the people who make sure that the artist gets paid, who organize the gallery openings, all of those things. And then we have this vast field of goers, as he calls it, nice, nice frame there, the appreciators, the people who come in and say, oh, that's good. So uh, let's take a typical gallery exhibition of paintings. We'll make it very straightforward and simple. The artist is the person who's produced the paintings, the person who's, who's running the show and the, the attendance required. Those are the producers. And then the general public coming in and sipping the wine and eating the cheese and looking at the paintings and saying, that reminds me of an orange. Or, hmm, I wonder if this is a statement about class dynamics. Or, that makes me feel blue. Uh, any of that sort of stuff, those are the goers. And all of that is part of the art world. And, you know, different people can put on different hats. So an artist may produce somebody else's show or go to galleries and appreciate what's going on there. A musician, let's say a talented guitarist, is definitely going to be going, most likely, to other people's concerts and being out there in the audience and being like, they rock! And then later on at other shows, that guy sucks! <laughs> he can't solo to save his life, right? All of that is part of the art world. And, you know, we could also think about all the people involved in the production of the instruments, the media that are used for the fine arts. So the people who actually produce pigments. In the case of music, the techs who come out and fix the instruments, the people who sell you the instruments, all of them would be part of an art world. There's other people who are involved as well. Critics of art, historians of art, philosophers of art, journalists too, we could say. Really anybody who is not doing the art and is not simply appreciating or consuming, 
but has something to say about what's going on would be part of the art world as well. And then he says two other things that are kind of at odds with each other, at least on the surface. One of these is that all of these roles, he says, are institutionalized and must be learned in one way or another by the participants. For example, a theater goer is not just someone who happens to enter a theater. He is a person who enters with certain expectations and knowledge about what he will experience and an understanding of how he should behave in the face of what he will experience. This is something I've talked about in terms of music with a couple of friends of mine. When you go to a metal concert, if people are not standing up and, you know, giving the, the horns and, you know, pumping their fists and stuff like that, or banging their heads, well, you got a problem. If you go to a classical concert and Debussy comes up and it's a particularly moving passage and you start getting up and thrashing, well, they'll throw you out of there, right? So there's different ways of behaving in different areas of the art world. And, and we can say the same thing about painting and sculpture and all sorts of other things as well, including theater. So there's some institutional roles, right? But then... Interestingly, Dickey also says there's a kind of more democratic participatory aspect to this as well. At one point he says, every person who sees himself as a member of the art world is thereby a member. Now, does that mean that everybody's on exactly the same level? So I wander into a gallery and I'm like, I can appreciate paintings. Let me have my wine here and cheese, uh, the, you know, a nice little hors d'oeuvre here. Hmm, let me look at this. And we start just, you know, saying crazy crap, right? I'm not necessarily going to be taken as seriously <laughs> as somebody who has greater stature within the art world because these are institutional roles. But there's nothing to keep me from actually coming in. Or if I don't want to come in, maybe writing a blog about it or watching videos or anything like that. There's one other feature that's really important to this notion of the art world, and that's that of machinery. Not discussed at great length in what is art, but discussed at more length in what is anti-art. So what is the machinery of the art world? He says that all the things that are required to present works of art, museums, concert halls, art galleries, theaters, walls of houses... All the things that are, you could say, institutional receptacles or tools are part of the machinery of the art world, which would include a large part of the internet at this point as well. So this is this rather amorphous conception of the art world. And by providing these points of analysis, we can wrap our head around it and get a better idea of just what it's supposed to consist in and be, according to Dickey's analysis. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.